Welcome to Brands and Barbed Wire. I'm your host, Jim Johnson, and I'll take you behind the brands and we'll look through the barbed wire at some of the most iconic ranches in the world. So sit back, kick off your boots, and prepare to be entertained as I introduce you to those captivating stories from the legends of the brands and where there's no barbed wire that's going to hold us back. Welcome to another episode of Brands and Barbed Wire. I'm excited to get the chance to hear from a true legend of the beef industry. He's been an innovator all of his life, as well as a tremendous storyteller. Dave Nichols, welcome to Brands and Barbed Wire. Well, thank you for the kind introduction, but just remember, you can go to hell for lying, same as stealing. <laughs> I don't know that I was lying, Dave. I've been looking for I've been looking forward to this podcast since the beginning. This is going to be this is going to be an awesome awesome day. So Dave, tell us a little bit about uh, Dave Nichols today and tell us about your family and and where you're at, where you're located and uh what part of the country you're in. Well, first of all, we're located in in uh, uh, the south southwest uh, Iowa. And it's down there where the glaciers stopped. And so we're more like Missouri than we are Iowa. But it's a great place to raise cattle, a great place to raise kids. And uh, we turned out some pretty damn good football teams and basketball teams, too. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Especially recently. Right. Yeah, that football team's been pretty good. Yeah. So, Dave... Um, I remember it's been a long time since I've been there, but uh, just to, before we get started in the podcast, I remember my introduction to pork tenderloin sandwiches was with <laughs> Dave Nichols in Iowa, probably back in the nineties. Oh, it, it had to be, it had to be during a, a six spell I had or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so Dave sort of take us back to the, take us back to the beginning of, of Nichols farms. Uh, how, you know, early, early Dave Nichols and how you got interested in the cattle business. I'd like to do that. I really would, because uh, I'm a result of uh, uh, some heterosis between Danes and, and Englishmen. But anyway, uh, the Nicholses uh, were not uh, taking part in the Revolutionary War. And uh, this is this is just a Nichols legend that says that they escaped in a hail of bullets to the Nova Scotia because they were loyalists to the queen. And so uh, that's just the way it was. But they, they went through, Canada went through the drought and everything. And this would be my grandfather. And, and in Nova Scotia, they live on potatoes and, and uh, cod. And in the fall, the, the cod did not come in, but the potato bug did. And they nearly were starving to death. So the Canadians gave them free plane tickets if they would go to Nova Scotia and uh, shock wheat, which they did. My grandpa was my grandpa was a, a teenager, in fact, and so they survived. And he was working for a, a big cow, not cattle breeder, horse breeder. And he was calling the his horses. He he had a hundred Belgian mares. And he would take those to Omaha and sell at the auction. So while he was there at the auction, by the they have and this was right across the stockyards in Omaha. There, a big round building, and they'd auction these off. Well, anyway, these uh, horses—I don't know whether they were the, his horses or not. 
But anyway, they went nuts and he and they got tangled up in the and the harnesses. And he jumped over the fence and went in and ear down the horse. And again, they gasped in the crowd because only no no nobody ears down a horse unless you're an Indian. So he mm-hmm. went, he was he got I don't know what it, what happened then, but he uh, walked back, got out of there, and there was Waylon Hopley from an, from Atlantic, Iowa, who at that time was uh, president of the American Angus Association, and he said, "Hey, kid, you want to come and raise raise come to Iowa and raise the horses there?" And he said he would, and that's how uh, that's how I escaped escaped uh, being being a British as as the a horse that went nuts, I guess. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, I love history, and I believe that people that fail to read history are doomed to repeat it. And I think that uh, uh, I think that we've got some people now that uh, with what's going on in the world, why uh, they better they better start reading some. <laughs> uh, so uh, my mother, only in America, only in America can this happen. My my mother's both her parents were immigrants from Denmark, and they got married and uh, here and had and uh, my grandpa was a conductor on a railroad and, and, uh, and he was his only child on a forty acre plot of land out in the middle of Utah, and her uh, mother died. Her mother died when she was dying. Her dad died when she was thirteen. She was alone in the middle of the boy, and, and she uh, rented out the farm, finished uh, school, had a farm sale. I've got a farm sale of three milk cows, two shows, you know, it's that kind of thing, hanging on the wall at home. She sold that. She went to Nana College in Blair, Nebraska, which is a Danish Lutheran college, and worked there. Uh, and graduated with a four-year degree in accounting, and that's uh, that's America. That's the story of America. I've been to several foreign countries, and, and uh, I, I believe there's rising tide lifts all ships. So, anyway, long story short, I, because Bob didn't have any friends or any uh, any people to go home to, go on Easter and. Uh, Christmas and she'd go in home with her with her uh, roommate who happened to be dad's cousin. So that's what happened. So I'm a result of a, a two-way cross. <laughs> so your mom your mom met your uh, met your dad through her roommate, which was your dad's cousin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's interesting. How and so that would have been college and then they got married and and when did Dave come along? Well, Dave Dave come along Shortly after uh, she graduated, it was a war. It was during the war, and my dad uh, uh, rented a farm in Davie, Nebraska, in the 30s. I was born in 38, and so uh, it was in the, at that time. And it was so dry. He said, well, "We've got to go and get back to Iowa, where he come uh, from." So he uh, sold all his horses. He he didn't like horses because my grandpa had 50 broodmares and he had four sons and they, they had to break all those horses. And it's kind of like some of, some of our friends, you know, that were milk cows 
they didn't even like the taste of it. <laughs> so he's he sold all his he sold he sold all his uh, uh, horses. He sold everything he had and bought a new Oliver seventy tractor and a plow. And moved to moved to Atlantic Iowa. Well, really, it was Atlantic. It was needed Iowa, and uh, bought a farm on a farm for uh, $33 an acre and, and bought it on the contract. And so he paid $3 an acre per year. <laughs> God, we raised some 300 bushel corn off of that farm this year. Wow. You, t- you raised 300 bushels of corn off of that same farm that he bought for $3 an acre a year for, I assume, 11 years. Yeah. But, uh, wow. I'll tell you one more story. It's mm-hmm. a story, but it's, it's it's why I am what I am. He had his farm almost paid off in 1945 or six. He uh, went into the banker and said, uh, uh, I want to borrow money to feed cattle. And my banker said, well, you are going to get the money from me because there's going to be a great depression. There's always been a depression after every war. Uh, every war, there's been a depression. Even even Napoleon couldn't keep it. And says, oh, this one's going to be different. And, he, and uh, so he uh, uh, wanted to uh, buy, buy the farm. Or no, he wanted to feed the cattle, wanted to feed the cattle. And uh, he uh, managed to do it. But here's what he told the banker. And everybody listen up, because this is why I'm here. Dad said, this time it's going to be different. We at our church held a, a thing to welcome all the boys home. And, and uh, I re- remembered, I, I just they had, I was just toddler. But anyway, I, the cars were a quarter of a mile away on all sides from this little country church. Dad says, there's all these boys over there, and they all had three friends. First thing they had was a girlfriend. The second thing they had was a car. And the third thing they had was a job or a full ride scholarship to Iowa State. And he says, we're going to experience and all the all of the all of the factories in, in Europe and Asia and so on are rubble. We're going to have the greatest movements that history has ever known. And he says, if you won't loan me the money, I'll go somewhere else and get it. And now the banker was telling me this story. This I didn't learn from my dad. I heard, heard from the banker, who ironically was a German, was a German immigrant. <laughs> and, and, and so he went and he bought the cattle. He went to bought the cattle. They were what, I, what we would call now Iowa Oakies, you know. Uh, and... Uh, he bought about a hundred and some of them, and I got to. I went to country school, and I got to drive them home after school with my dog Jack. And so man, I was I was big time stuff. He, <laughs> took, he, took, he had uh, two years of corn. Corn at that time, it, it would have been forty five, was three twenty a bushel. And you know, during the depression, couldn't give it away for a dime. But anyway, he fed those steers, took them to the old Orleans doctors, let me go, uh, get out of school, go out with me. And he uh, sold those steers that they were weighing 1,500 pounds for 39 cents. 
came home, paid off his farm, paid off all his debts, bought a new pickup, bought a new car, and, and bought a, 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 a new tractor. It sounds like uh typical cattleman, uh, even back then, you know, we make a little money, we go out and buy all kinds of new stuff. But the thing that I learned from it, and, and dad taught me, is you, you study what you're going to do before you buy it. Uh, yep. Don't ever take advice from bankers because he says that you are a banker and every guy that come in that was raising hogs was losing money. The last day I think you'd do is loan more money to, to, to another one to raise hogs. But, <laughs> but uh, he believed in conservation and he uh, bent those steers, bent steers every year after that, continued to be. We, my best years, my, my first, the first time I uh, uh, had a, had a, a beer can is when I was uh, uh, eight years old. And uh, one of dad's, he bought a lot of cattle out of the old stockyards, which was all Herbert then, Black Baldy on there. And he sold me that one for 90 bucks. Boy, I got a good price out of him. So, the next year, I fed uh, two steers and uh, lost my butt. Oh, by the <laughs> way, he, he made me go to the bank and get the money. Seven, eight years of age. But he was a put up deal, of course. But, uh, and then I figured it out. He had said, figure out, figure it out. Got to go in there. Don't go in there begging for him because you won't get the money. And, and so I did. I went in and I said, well, I can pay off for the money. That, but I can't buy anything to replace it. And I'll do this, and I'll do that, and I'll get up early, and all of that. And so, but, but you've got to lend me money for four stairs. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, is that's, that's cattle feeders' logic. <laughs> and, and then the same thing uh, happened when, uh, when we got into the cow business. And this is, I was at a country school. But uh, dad said that the cow business was really, really going to be good. And they were going to, it was going to come in Iowa and Missouri. And this last of these farmers with 80 and 160 acres that was starving to death, you know, and was starving to death. And so he, uh, he got in the cow business and, and, uh, and just, you know, just uh, what you happened in Adair County at that time. And it's, I think we're still pretty close. We were number one county in beef cows. We were number one county in fed, feedlot cattle. And uh, so I've had steers ever since I was six or seven. That's how it got started. Yep. So you were a pretty young cattle feeder. And then you you, you started getting older. And and um, and if I remember, you were telling me something about showing hogs or something like that. Did you do something like that? Yeah, I had I had hogs for a couple of years, but I I, I was in 4-H in Adair County, in Adair County, uh, in nineteen in the in the fifties. I mean, the, the the primary thing you did was you went to the county fair with your son, and if you didn't have any boys, you, you wouldn't let a girl show them. But anyway, uh, and, and that was a big highlight of the, of the deal. And so. Uh, uh, I was taking my steers to to the uh, to the county fair, and uh, then I reached this magic age 
that I saw this gal that was showing pyramid angus heifers. And man, she was a breathtaker. I mean, she, I, I didn't know anything could look that good, but she did. And so I went home and lied to dad that uh, I wanted to be a of Angus business uh, because there were starving children in China. <laughs> I didn't want any boy to, to go hungry and so on. And so he pretended like he believed me. And, and he had just bought a rough age. So I went there and uh, I went there and I got a show heifer. I got a heifer. And he said, well, while I'm at it, I'll just buy, buy 40 heifers myself. Which he did, but then I put what I got to everything. Mean, this 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 guy was had big big Angus cows and, and you know, hard working cows, but no jewelry. Well, I had my my purebred heifer, and uh, this is one logic that didn't work because I went to the county fair and this gal who will remain I beat her ass to try. I sure didn't have any chance of uh, getting along with her. So, <laughs> so, so your plan of, of buying an Angus heifer and, her, heifer and taking her back to the show so you could meet the young lady, that, that plan didn't work out like quite like you. I thought you said, I thought you said your dad said plan everything before you do it. Yeah, well, you, you planned it, but it, but it didn't quite work out like you'd planned, huh? No, it was his damn fault. Because if he, <laughs> Because I he bought a heifer that won. <laughs> Speaking about the heifer, now this this is a, where we get into some serious stuff. Really, I like this heifer. I won the national FFA speech contest in 1956 on performance testing cattle. There was only one one unit in the United States, not the government, not colleges, not all that, but the, the milking short horn. Association uh, had a book out uh, where they were weighing cattle. And it was called Shorthorns the Best in Every Way, W E I G H. And uh, so, uh, anyway, Formus uh, tested them. I, by, by the way, this champion short, this champion ever I had, her first calf, her first calf came in, and all I knew I'd hit a home run. Short legged, his head was wider than his long. And this and that, then it started bloating. And then he started to go south. It wasn't growing very fast. So we called the vet and he said, Well, it looks to me like a vitamin A deficiency or something. So the feed dealer said, Well, it's going something else. And then we had a county extension director that had flown 160 missions in World War II from Scotland bombing Germany. And in B 129s average, average 40, uh, six planes would go out, five and come back. And he survived that for a whole time. And there wasn't any scare left in him. And he said, I, uh, and then I, we called the Angus Association Fieldman. He came and looked at the cab, turned white, and said, Knock him in the head and don't tell anybody you got him. He was a snorted war, and, and there was a big problem then. And so I went and met the Dr. Lush. And Dr. Lush is a genetics, but Einstein was the business. And here, here he was, he took this 14 year old kid under his plane. Uh, and I was going to have to clean up the herd and 
report I was reading but you know, I hamper hampers and cows to their own sire and stuff to find out what's in the North Florida uh, gene the storage the work then this was the next thing that changed my life forever uh, uh, I think we, after we got through testing because Dan had some had some cows too see that uh, we had four sires, and my sire and three of his, and three out of the four uh, were carriers of the dwarfins. All had clean pedigrees. I my bull was out of a carrier, but he was clean, mm-hmm. which he would be, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's simple, and so we recessed him. So then. Bob DeMaca came to Iowa State, and I was there then, and he got our herd and two or three others on a computer, and I was hooked. But really, I got to be the way it was. And I, uh, we had uh, five bulls that were, we knew were clean. And so I wanted, we did, we did feed them out of steers, and I wanted, uh, I wanted to, uh, in the bull business. So I run an ad in the Greenfield Free Press and I had for sale uh, three purebred Angus bulls for sale for $300 uh, that were guaranteed not to sire dwarves or red ones. And, 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 I, and I wasn't going to have any damn want ad. I wanted a I wanted display ad. And I went to the Free Press and spent two hours trying to find a woodcut from a bull that didn't have a horns on it. <laughs> and mm-hmm. ran an ad that we were guaranteed that we were going to, these bulls would, and they were performance tested, and so on. And the Greenfield paper come out at noon, and, uh, and the yard filled up with trucks and pickups on three bulls. And the reason it was, it's because nobody would tell them tell them the truth about honestly we recessed. And on the bottom it said guaranteed by Merrill Nichols. What Merrill Nichols said was the way it was. And and to this day, we uh, guarantee our bulls not to start wars or anything like that. But it's day, way, way ahead of time. And then and then of course Lush, you know, was got me interested in genetics and, and, and I was hooked for life and it's still the most exciting thing. I remember Dave, um, one time at BIF, uh, and I always tell people, I think, I think the early adopters, no matter what age they are, will always be early adopters of technology. And I think that from what I've noticed, that's sort of, sort of been your mantra over the years is you've you've been an earlier adopter of whatever technology was out there and you want you weren't afraid to um to do that and i remember uh, i remember at one bif smartphones had come out and uh, dr wade schaefer at american simmental association had gotten him a smartphone and uh, there was dave nichols showing him how to use his smartphone so we had a phd in genetics and dave nichols already had his smartphone it was was uh was showing him how to use it. And so 
So I, I just admire that about you that that you've just never over the years never been really afraid of, of embracing technology and and being one of the early adopters and and so it sort of gets into to part of the reason that that I wanted to talk to you uh, today was you know back then performance testing there were you know it was just it, it was sort of at the beginning and there was um you know, just, just how, how to take two or five day weights and, and, you know, people were discovering some of this stuff and, and you were sort of on the, on the beginning of that, uh, that trend before, before EPDs and before any of that stuff. And so kind of talk us through some of that, Dave. We do my first calf crop. Bob DeBaca came to Iowa State and Bob DeBaca was a progressive guy. And, and so I, we got all the weights on and they were on the computer. Well, Iowa State, the only time they would uh, let him, him, he was on staff at Iowa State, was, was at two o'clock in the morning. Well, I can't think of about 11 better things to do at two o'clock in the morning <laughs> go into a, a room. Uh, and, 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 and so we put that in there and it, run, and, and it didn't come out in papers and there wasn't a screen, but these cards came out with little holes in them. Those square holes, and that was how, that's how you, and then you'd put them in a drawer, and then you'd stick a wire up, then you'd lift up the wire, and then all the, all the cards would come up with that wire that, that went through the hole, you see. So you could lift out the cards in there. There was my guys, I had nine cards on cows that had to weed, weighed over 500 pounds, and then the computers come along, and, and I just, uh, I just think that uh, think about that, and and and, I, and the stage we're in right now, stage we're in right now is uh, is uh, the the money to be made, and then what we need to do. We've got to get serious about the cap. We've got to be serious about it. We've just put in four hundred thousand dollars to measure feed conversion, not for the bulls. For, the, for his daughters. And he says that when you lay that steak on that grill, 75% of the cost is for maintenance for his mom. So you're saying 75% of the cost of that steak was for maintenance for the for the, the mother of whoever, whoever owned that steak, right? Wherever it came from. Yeah, that's interesting. And, uh, and can you tell me any industry any industry that would not know that and do something about it. Yeah. So that's sort of been what you, um, I mean, that's, that's what you do. You measure and we can't make decisions if we don't measure it. That's right. And, and your life has really been about measuring things and making decisions, hasn't it? Yeah, it just has. And I, and I, and I always was curious about stuff and how it worked and all those things. But, uh, I just think that the, my dad was a really good farmer, and so was Lee and I a good farmer. But he was winning—he was winning the yield contest in the '40s with 80 bushel corn, and the average was 20. And and, uh, and then and then we went—we were—we were always in the top one percent in our corn yields, and uh, because my dad dad's motto was. Uh, Raise all you can and feed all you raise. Tell me, Dave, um, your early involvement in the Beef Improvement Federation. 
and how how you you were involved there and and sort of what maybe you learned from uh, being involved in that group as well. It was uh, the best organization I've ever belonged ever. And the reason why is that uh, we started out with the idea that, that with, uh, and I was uh, I was on the original board. I think we probably had more research taken up here than anyone because uh, it was just curiosity that goes back to goes back to Lush. You know, you got to take some risk and, and find out what the problem is. If you know, if you have a if you have a, a car that all of a sudden starts uh, getting gas mileage of six miles a gallon, you're going to get a picture and get rid of it, right? What you're saying is it just like you've sort of, again, everything I know about you, Dave, you've, you've never been afraid of change. And that's your advice to, to producers out there is don't be afraid of change. Embrace it. Embrace new technology. And that's the only way we're going to really make improvements is, is kind of get out there and take a chance and try some new things and embrace the technology that's available there to you. And don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of change. If people wanted to learn a little bit more about Nichols Farms, um, how, how would they do that? They would just Google Nichols Farms and go to our website. Well, Dave, um, it's been a pleasure. And uh, I really, really appreciate your time. Appreciate all the the knowledge and insights and, you know, just the things you've shared over the years with, with me personally and and with uh, with the cattle business. And I think the cattle business will always be grateful for the risks and the, and the innovation that, that uh, you've been a part of over the years. And we really appreciate it. Thanks for your time and, um, and look forward to the, seeing you in the next BIF. Okay. The pleasure has been mine. All right. Thank you, Dave. You bet. Good night. For our producer, Carlos Cheraboga, I'm your host, Jim Johnson. God bless and thank you for listening to Brands and Barbwire. The Brands and Barbwire podcast can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share. You can also find additional content at our Brands and Barbwire Facebook page and at brandsandbarbwire.com. We hope you enjoyed Brands and Barbwire. Brands and Barbwire is sponsored by JMR Genetics, cattle made to grow and grade. The annual Quality Over Quantity Bull and Heifer Sale will be held October 15th. Visit jmargenetics.com for more information.